Getting a reservation at the Howard Johnson Earthlight Room is a killer. This is 2001 A Space Odyssey. And welcome. This is Seen and Heard. This is the podcast where two lowly entertainment assistants <laughs> talk about the sight and sound top 100 greatest films of all time list. This week is a very special week because, look, this is a big one. I, I feel like we say that for a lot of them. But this is this is probably one of the most famous and recognizable movies on the entire list, would you say, Jackie? I actually made a note right here. I think this is like the majorest of major motion pictures on this list, if not ever. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, the, you know, The Godfather's on the list, too. Ah, uh, like that's true. Citizen Kane. By but, the way, yeah. the movie this week is 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah, you guys didn't know that? Come and on. And it's uh, number... And it's number six by Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, I mean, it's safe to say that this is probably the most, you know, recognizable and watch movie on the list. I mean, well, okay, no, next Godfather. to like maybe maybe Godfather, maybe Citizen Kane. Although yeah. uh, you know what, more people today have probably seen two thousand one than Citizen Kane. I would think. Yeah, but not Godfather. But, I think Godfather is still number one. Yeah, I guess so because two thousand one has that whole sci fi tag that comes along with it. Like whereas, teenage boys now still love Godfather, but right. teenage boys don't even. I don't even think they like know what two thousand one is. I mean, I wouldn't. You know, if they love Christopher the Nolan average, or something. The average teenage boy. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like they might be aware. Anyway, about 2001, we'll see. Uh, uh, what have you been watching this week? I've been, like, not watching that much because I traveled a little bit. But I did watch before I went. I watched An Angel at My Table by Jane Campion. What'd you think? Loved it. You know, it was like, like, I was in the middle of the movie. And I'm just like, why is this movie so good? And then I just remembered, I'm like, oh, yeah, Jane Campion, like, here's the thing about her. She just makes good movies. Like, she literally just knows how to make a movie. I, there's no other way I can explain it. Like, the way that it, it's so, it's basically about this really famous um, writer from New Zealand. Her name is Janet Frame. Janet Frame? Yeah. Uh, the movie came out in 1990, and it's about this, she's an author, a poet, uh, who spent many many years of her life um in a psychiatric hospital because she was misdiagnosed with schizophrenia and she grew up like she grew up like around world war ii and it's just a really good representation of like family life growing up with siblings just very real very raw and then it's just a lovely story about like like wanting to change so bad but not being able to change certain things about yourself and it's just really sweet it's it's a really good movie i haven't seen that one queen jane she's she's fantastic i need to see it yeah what have you been watching uh there's two that really stick out that i saw in the last week so one of them we did for the film club which is a michael hanukkah movie called the seventh continent which um even knowing that it was a Michael Hanukkah movie, <laughs> I wasn't fully prepared for the gut punch that this movie is. Have you seen it? Mm-mm. Do you know who he is? He did like funny games and stuff. And no. like, uh, The Piano Teacher with Isabel Huppert. Oh, that's been on my list for like a really long time. It's a great really movie. But he's, you know, his movies are... It's like wild, right? It's wild. Yeah, they're, they're wild and they're very, very dark movies. Yeah. And this was his first film. We did it for the film club. And everyone 
more or less really liked it. I hadn't seen it before, but it, it's the kind of movie like it, it's over and you just <laughs> need to like turn something else on because oh, you feel so bad about yourself. Yeah. <laughs> like it's rough. Wow. I won't even give away the print. That's it's just a movie you should see. Okay. Um, and then the second movie, which I really loved, uh, is Lynn Ramsey's Morvern Caller. Oh, I love that movie. So good. It's really good. Yeah, I just saw it for the first time, and uh, it's, it's it was amazing. That movie is shocking. Like it really is. It's fantastic. Yes. Yeah, like I don't want to give it away, but I, I want it. Like, well, you could the premise. The premise is basic because it happens in the first two minutes. Of the and movie. it's fa- the first two minutes are like what? So it's Samantha Morton and. Basically, she lives with, I think it's her fiance because yeah. she's wearing like an engagement ring or something. But uh, so she wakes up and her boyfriend slash fiance is dead on the floor of suicide. Yeah. And he's just written this novel that's that's on the computer. And he tells her, like, send this to this agent. And then he leaves money for his funeral. I think it's like, I think it's like a couple thousand dollars. And so she changes, she goes to the novel. I'm saying this because, again, this is the first five minutes of the movie. She goes to the novel, takes his name off of it, and puts her name in and submits it. And then instead of using the couple thousand dollars for the funeral, she just takes the money and her and a friend go on a trip to Spain. Yeah. But it's really... Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was great. I was completely blown away by it. It's one of those like where like you see it and you're like, how am I just now seeing this? Yeah, yeah. It is good. that, But like, yeah, his suicide is... It's rough. Really rough. There's a Christmas tree. The Christmas tree. Here's the thing. I saw this after I saw The Seventh Continent. So this was a bubblegum (laughs) pop song. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Um, We should talk a little bit about Oscar noms, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. They came out... Well, they came out today, but you guys are listening from the future. Yeah. So they're a week old by now. They're fresh to us right now. Um, And speaking of Queen Jane, obviously... Power of the Dog. Probably going to win. You think so? Best picture? Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. I know. Come on. I know. I know. There's no excuse. But like, yeah. (laughs) I think it's going to win. I think she's going to win too. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. How do you feel about Alana Hyam being snubbed for actress? I'm fine with it. I love her. I don't think that this is going to like harm her in any way (laughs) i'm really glad that kristen stewart got nominated because like it was looking pretty grim for a while she didn't get a bafta which is like okay they're british i get it and it's about diana but like there were other things too oh no sag and people were saying like this has never had no one has ever got the oscar nom after not getting the sag and i was like oh shit huh and she got it wow which is good i haven't seen that movie either i need to do that i think you'd really like it yeah I liked it. Yeah, I loved her. Right. I really loved her. Um, Kirsten Dunst finally, like, oh yeah, twenty years later. Yeah, jeez. Yeah. And then, yeah, the actor category is a little weak, though. I guess like Benedict Cumberbatch will probably get it. Worst person in the world oh. only has a writing nom and an international feature nom. And it's like so good. Honestly, that's how you know it's a great movie. If it doesn't have them. <laughs> yeah. My attitude about the Oscars has changed so much. Because like, you have to pay for it. But yeah, I mean, it's it's really not like it's not an honest award system. Like you need to pay to campaign your like the studio needs to pay for you for an Oscar campaign for consideration. Yeah. Like if you don't put anything into it, you cannot get nominated. Yeah. Which yeah. is such a backwards. It's just. 
Yeah. They should just look at all movies that were released. Mm-hmm. In the case of the Oscars, all American movies, although that's stupid. But I know, I know they have the foreign film category, which other countries submit their own movies for. But mm-hmm. just watch them all. And then just, like, what is this bullshit like, you for your consideration? Yeah. yeah, it's bullshit. It is. It is. Shall we get into one of the greatest movies of all time that wasn't nominated for Best Picture? A Space Odyssey is a 1968 sci-fi epic directed by Stanley Kubrick, co-written by Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke, based on a novel written by Clarke, which he wrote simultaneously with the script. The film is divided into three parts, all pertaining to a moment in man's evolution, triggered by the appearance of a monolith, which is a tall, black, shiny piece of wall, for lack of a better word. The first part depicts the first use of a weapon by primates. Then the film jumps millions of years into the future when space travel has become commonplace, as scientist Dr. Haywood Floyd is sent to examine a strange object that has appeared on the moon. Spoiler, it's the monolith. 18 months later, we have astronauts Dave Bowman and Frank Poole on a mission to Jupiter along with Hal, who's the AI computer of the ship. Hal turns on the crew, claiming they are jeopardizing the mission with their human errors, killing all of them but Dave. There's a few guys that are sleeping in hypersleep. Kills everyone but Dave. The mission's purpose is revealed. Uh, They are being sent to investigate the radio signals sent to Jupiter from the monolith on the moon. Dave still goes to Jupiter, and once there, he travels through a mad rhapsody of time, space, color, and light until eventually he is an old man. Dying in bed. Monolith appears, and we can only guess that the fetus moving towards Earth, which is Dave, is the next step of humanity. <laughs> you did that's a good job. That's <laughs> it's so long. But it's a long movie. Um, before we get into anything, can we just say that the news broke today that I believe yesterday Douglas Trumbull, who was the effects supervisor for this, just passed away. Aww. And it was just released today. So I think he died yesterday, but rest in peace, Douglas wow. Trumbull, a true yeah. legend. Wow. That's incredible. Kier Dahlia plays Dave. William Sylvester is Dr. Haywood Floyd. Gary Lockwood is Frank Poole. And Hal is voiced by Douglas Rain. And I'm going to get into who Douglas Rain is because it's kind of important. I mean, we'll see. Um, Yeah, so with this movie, Kubrick wanted to make, as he called it, the proverbial good science fiction movie. Something that wouldn't become obsolete with new knowledge. He was inspired by Japanese tokusatsu films. Oh, wait, tokusatsu movies, really? Yeah, like models and puppets. Yeah, like the Godzilla movies. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He was also inspired by educational films such as 
the animated short from 1960 called Universe and the 1964 World's Fair movie To the Moon and Beyond. Douglas Rain, who voices Hal, is also the narrator of Universe. Oh, I didn't know that. Isn't that cute? It is cute. The film received kind of mixed reviews upon release. Some people thought it was really boring. Some people thought it was really weird. But it was like a big phenomenon. Like it shook up the yeah, culture at yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was nominated for Best Screenplay, as it was called back then, Best Story and Screenplay, which is weird because there's not that much talking. Best director. Yeah, but there's still a story. Of course, of course. But I just feel like of all things. Anyway, but it was also nominated for Best Director, Best Art Direction, and Best Visual Effects. And that was the only one that it won was visual was visual effects. Um, but it's just such a, I mean, giant of production. Mo- yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the music is composed by all these. It, the music is a compilation of these beautiful classical music pieces. Strauss. Like, Kubrick's whole thing was that he used pre-recorded music most of the time. Like mm-hmm. he hard, he very rarely had like original scores. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. We're very excited to have our first guest this episode. So our guest this week is Kat Faranchak. Kat is a producer, writer, and director. And she's one of my very dear friends. We directed a short film together last year. And she's obsessed with sci-fi. And this is like her favorite movie ever. It's almost like she's the perfect person to bring on for this episode. She also is a big help to us on the podcast. She gives us notes all the time. If you guys wait till the end and listen to the credits, you'll you'll hear her name. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. Hey, well, hello, hello, hello. Good it's evening. It's a pleasure to be here. How are you I'm very doing? proud of what you guys are putting together. <laughs> Man, can you just, can you imagine being uh, nominated in the same special effects uh, Oscar category is, as this movie? Absolutely not. Especially in I'm, 1968. I, I, that's what I was going to say. I wonder how many nominations, how, how many nominees there were. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> dealing with a movie that absolutely like revolutionized and invented new techniques yeah <laughs> which still look yeah you know you said in your uh your intro he was looking to make a movie that would look good you know and hold up throughout time and now that it's 2021 uh about or, oh my god 2022 <gasps> like, how many years oh god 11 years oh my god 21 years after uh after this was supposed to take place what do you think holds up right yeah yeah. So, Kat, why don't you tell us, let's start with you. Why don't you tell us your introduction to this movie, the first time you saw it, what you thought of it, your evolving over the years, like your evolving relationship with 2001? Yeah, I definitely was first introduced to this movie as a kid. Uh, my f- pops is also into science fiction films. So this is definitely something that played and I really had no idea what I was watching. Like, why was there this section with all these monkeys at the beginning? Um, later reintroduced to it, uh, sort of in high school, uh, and again in college, I remember very formatively one of our professors pitching this as, as the, <laughs> as basically an acid trip movie. He's like, it's the sixties, you go in and there's, oh, here's an important question for you guys. Where did you watch this copy? Like, what did you watch it on? Jackie? HBO Max. Oh. I watched it on 4K Blu-ray on my OLED 4K okay, TV. You know what? I literally bought the Blu-ray like two weeks ago and I was so excited. I was like, yes, I'll have the Blu-ray to watch when we have to watch this. 
and I was out of town. And I couldn't couldn't watch it on my Blu-ray and it was just sitting. I was thinking of my Blu-ray the whole time. (laughs) So where do you watch it, Jackie? What what's up, Kat? What did you watch it on? I watched it on a TV at my boyfriend's apartment. Was it like HBO though? Yeah. Okay, so then (laughs) then you were fucked. (laughs) (laughs) What did you watch it on? Greg, tell me now. (laughs) Because I watched the HBO version this time. And Greg, did your did your how does how does the movie two thousand one A Space Odyssey begin? It begins oh. with like with like four minutes of black. Yes, <laughs> and, and HBO didn't have it. Version, honestly, I was scandalized. Oh, oh no, my god! I didn't Listen, that. let's trash HBO Max right now in this podcast. You guys cannot cut <laughs> out the first four minutes of this just because the screen is black doesn't mean the movie hasn't started, That's guys. True. They cut out. It's truly egregious. Like, can you imagine? Wow. No, I can, honestly can't imagine that. Because the MGM logo came on, and then, yeah. Yeah. It oh just my started. God. It just started. It's like the overture. The overture. For four minutes, you get pulled into it. Just imagine being in a theater in the 60s, and as my professor would put it, you're like on LSD, and it's starting to kick it. And you're just sitting in the theater, and it's black, and there's this music, and it grows, and it grows. And suddenly, you realize you've been listening to music for three minutes, and like nothing's on screen. And then, bam, introductions. So you're so cat you're a big sci-fi fan and this yeah, mo- absolutely. This is, this is like ground zero, right? Pretty much. One more time, say that again. Like th- this is kind of ground zero. I mean, you can go back to the 20s with like Metropolis and stuff, but I mean, this as far as like modern science fiction is concerned, do you consider this like the the birth of the modern sci-fi movie? This is definitely at least by critics and people looking back at history pinpointed as like the end of the Western and the advent of the science fiction movie as the as a principal media form and, you know, the grand epic. I think it's this is like my initial initial thought about just thinking about this movie, not even just watching it, just like the majesty like that is (laughs) it. If I can describe this movie, I don't want to call it majestic. Because that's simplifying it. I want to talk about the majesty of this well, here, movie. I want you to talk about the majesty while you also tell us about the first time you saw it and where you're at with it right now in your life. I've never seen it on a big screen. I've only seen it on TV. And first time I saw it, I don't know. It was probably like high school, honestly. And yeah, I was just like, I watched it alone, which was kind of sad. Is it sad? Yeah, because I think this is a movie you need to enjoy with someone. Like you need to like <laughs> you need to look at their face and watch their jaw drop. And I was all alone. There was no one to watch my jaw drop. <laughs> I missed out. Oh. <laughs> I missed out. But I love this movie. I mean, this is an instant like I don't know, like when I saw it again, monkeys, shocking. You know what I love? And this is also an initial thought because it's start it's the start of the movie. I love that the movie starts in space and then you're just like utterly in earth. Like dirt. No, I don't even mean it earth as the planet. I just mean earth as like dirt. Mm-hmm. And that's something that always struck me as like how how does that work so well? How are we in space? How are we like hearing this orchestra, seeing these beautiful planets, and then like it just gets dirty, but it's, it's still that, good. It's the like, contrast, yeah, yeah. Anyway, the whole movie is about man's place in the universe, right? So it feels very fitting. Yeah, yeah. And then so this time around, it's so funny. Like this time around, I really like. I was watching the opening, and I was like. This is like melancholia, basic or melancholia is this? Sure, like. Yeah. 
And I didn't. I don't think I ever realized that before. And Kat, we just watched Melancholia together kind of recently. Mwah. So good. I love <laughs> it that It is movie. so good. Yeah. But it's it's this. Like, it is. And then also Tree of Life, kind of. Oh, for sure. Tree of Life. Most Malik. This is kind of, yeah, this is the genesis of his whole career, basically. Yeah. And I was just, it was, yeah. That was like my initial, initial thought this time watching it. I was like, where have I just seen this? And I was like, Tree of Life. I mean, not Tree of uh, Melancholia, Melancholia, more than Tree of Life. Tree of Life is when we get into the Dawn of Man part, really. Right. Kind, of, But then, no. Well, no, the Stargate yeah. sequence and everything yeah. is kind yeah. of there. Yeah. yeah. Greg, tell us about your journey with this movie. I saw this freshman year of high school, and I remember one of my friends at the time, I remember what classroom I was in and everything. And when my, we were eating lunch in a classroom, and my friend turned to me, and he was like, you know, there's this movie where you just watch these spaceships in space for like five minutes, just like slowly going across the frame as classical music plays. And I was like, that's not real. <laughs> I was like, that's fake. But then as soon as I found out it was a real movie, I was like, oh, I got to see that. So funny. <laughs> so I saw it freshman year of high school. And yeah, I mean, I think this is one, it blew me away the first time I saw it. And I love it just as much today. If Well, I love it more now because I was, you know, 14 at the time and, couldn't fully appreciate why it was so great but it had this huge impact on me yeah so i revisited this a couple days ago and watched it on 4k (laughs) blu-ray uh with with the overture um but yeah this is honestly this this time seeing it like really solidified it for me like i'd always really really liked it but for me it was like a four and a half before out of five and this time was like a five out of five. Did you change your letterbox review? I did. Yeah. Nice. I was thinking about it. Like if I could just describe this movie, like what I love so much about it is that it is this epic, majestic, major motion picture, but it's so visceral. Like it doesn't waste time on stupid details. And I think that that is just like, I can't think of another movie like that, you know, like other movies that are huge are so they have so many like there's a lot of talking right in huge movies i i think you put you put your finger on something that i really like about it i think it's one of its its big strengths is the fact that it's this huge epic scope but it also feels very intimate because we're so focused in on these couple there's like three chapters in mm-hmm, this movie right mm-hmm, each mm-hmm, of those chapters mm-hmm. is very focused right and right. you get these really tiny immersive details and i think that's why it works so well because it is this huge cosmic scale yeah but but there's no like deep story details or like oh i didn't get this scientific aspect of it like that that's not there like you don't need to know anything about space or anything about right not that other science fiction movies you do but a lot of other science fiction babble exactly because you're not a huge sci-fi fan right overall (laughs) i thought i remember because cat is I know, Cat is. But Cat, you know what I'm talking about. There's no, what did you call it? Techno babble. There's no techno babble. It's pure visual storytelling. Yeah. What I really yeah. respect about it too is that he spent so much time in getting professionals to uh, advise on this. So it is just like everything is portrayed extremely accurately. But as you say, there's no need to like tell the audience how it works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, so why don't you tell us a little bit about like the the making of the like the writing of the book because that's kind of important right like because they talked to a bunch of people and it was based on like a short story by arthur c Clarke. but then he like well arthur c Clarke's a straight-up physicist i believe <laughs> so 
starting from there, all of his stuff is extremely, like, extremely realistic. But he's talking about, you know, getting asked to uh, to do sections, like sections for time or for uh, life or something. And they're asking him, well, what's your authority on this? And he just points at himself. He's like, I am the authority. You're looking at him. You want to know why this is accurate? This is because I'm telling it to you. And I really enjoyed one piece of this when they were discussing it, like why go in with a book instead of trying to write a screenplay? And they had this concept of just a screenplay is actually a very boring thing to read, but a novel is like a beautiful uh, like piece of literature in its own right. And so that's why Stanley Kubrick wanted to walk in. And they walked in with like two thirds of a book and they sold it to MGM. Incredible. And Greg, we talked about this like a little bit when we watched The Shining, like we were talking about how Kubrick does this with books. Like he wants something thick with a lot of detail that he can then pick and choose and use it for mystery purposes. But yeah. it's there in the book. Like if you're ambiguous in the movie and exactly. it's clear in the book. Yeah. So the, the I, I do know the book cat came out after the movie. So it was almost considered like a novelization. Yeah. yeah I think they wouldn't like it basically at the, at the point where you kind of break for the Stargate is where the book and uh, was really overtaken by the filming of it. And so a lot of what then happens in Arthur C. Clarke's piece is kind of like him building off of what Stanley Kubrick put into the movie. So it's this mix of a novelization and uh, like an original novel, um, you know, also just like, very, <laughs> very, I think it's a good companion piece, honestly, in the way that everything that's unexplained about the science or the mystery of what's going on in the Kubrick film, Arthur C. Clarke is maybe guilty of over-explaining and it'll show you how certain things work. And he'll talk about the tech and he'll talk about like the, the science behind how to skip a few chapters ahead, yeah. uh, as well as just kind of like going more in depth into like the, the primates, biology, et cetera. Right. So, yeah. So Arthur C. Clarke, I know that it's based on like in the beginning, beginning when they first met, he had like two short stories, one of them about primates, one of them about a monolith type thing. Right. Yeah. Or is that the same yeah. one? Something it might be the same on one, the but it was so funny. I listened to that cat. I listened to that thing you sent me and Arthur C. Clarke said in it that the Apollo mission, like after they came back from going to the moon for the first time in 1969, like called him and said, you know, like we were really tempted to like radio back to Houston and say like, there's a giant monolith here, <laughs> which is so great. Like this movie Think about is it, this movie beat space travel. That's why. Yes. You know. <laughs> yes. This movie came out before space travel. Like well, what? Early yeah. space travel when no one had left the atmosphere. Really. Right. Like, we're only in satellite. Yes. Well, maybe we should talk about, at least touch on briefly, that because of this movie, uh, there's a big conspiracy theory that people think that Kubrick helped the U.S. government fake the moon landing on a soundstage. Um, This was fresh on everyone's minds a year later when we did land on the moon. You guys know what's funny, and this is kind of unrelated, but it hit me today when I was like writing these notes. The movie's divided into three sections, right? Dawn of Man, Jupiter Mission, and Jupiter and Beyond. But there's no name for that section with Dr. Floyd who, like, the space station, the whole space station section is grouped together with the dawn of man. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I forgot that there was no chapter break there. Yeah, we should get into that. Well, let's talk about monkeys. Let's talk about monkeys. When I I first saw this, I actually, (laughs) again, (laughs) the TV I watched it on was very small when I was a freshman. But, like, I thought that those were real apes. Yeah, they no, look they good. look great. The they look good. really great. 
those masks look good. I was looking into, this was a great excuse to just like look into all the making up. And they're like these mechanical masks that they can control with their tongue, which is how they're getting all these facial expressions. And I was like, that looks as good as like what Lord of the Rings had for all their Wicca works. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, this too, this came out in 1968, which was the same year of the first Planet of the Apes film. And it's just funny. That's a great movie. And it is very serious, like adult sci-fi. But this is like caught this. This is just on such another level from Planet of the Apes. Like it's doing something so completely different. And it's it'd be funny to watch those back to back. Yeah. I mean, I want to talk for a second about like the way that they shot those scenes, because they've got these photographs which were taken in Africa and they're using front projection onto this, you know, massive screen setup that's around this rotating stage bottom. And it's just basically that is what all these XR stages are today. Like the stuff that they're shooting Mandalorian on, all of these like massive total LED screen things where you can then control the lighting based on like having the stages. That is what he was doing with this. It's fascinating. Yeah, no, I that I've seen like a, a mock-up of what the 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 room looks like the stage looked like that they shot those on and it's massive and it is crazy and it it's funny because when you see this projected or you see it on 4k like like i did it looks amazing and honestly you if you don't know that it's like a basically a huge rear projection you can't tell yeah i love the whole donna band sequence so much just because it, it really it's one of those things that just it forces you into this movie and it's- you're like look you're not going to get your typical like space plot like this isn't some like flash gordon thing you're gonna sit here you're gonna get absorbed into this yeah you know this chapter this beginning of time and you're just gonna observe early man it's just it's so primal and so honestly every time i see it i I almost want that sequence to go on like a little bit longer yeah they communicate a lot they do they do i mean this nice little uh day in the life of a early man and then the appearance of the obelisk happens and after that, you get like all the things that make men men, where they uh, eat meat, use tools, and kill other men. Yeah, yes. it's so. And you know what's so great? It's like the first time that thing shows up, you're like, "What the fuck?" The and music then, is so great too. Oh yeah. my god, it's so good. And then it helps the classic, sell that, right? Yeah, and there's the classic shot that's repeated of like the sun over the monolith. Yeah, and every time you see that. This movie's not complicated. No. It's very simple. Every time that thing pops up and every time you get that sun shot, you know that something is going to go down. And it's and they repeat it. It's the fact that they repeat that shot that there's no Easter eggs in this movie. Like, I hate when people try to, like, analyze this movie and try to figure out what was going on in his mind. What was he trying to say? What is this monolith? Like, no, it's all written right there. It shows up. Then they do something crazy that they haven't done before. Jump to the future, it shows up again. Some other crazy shit, ha- well, shit happens. Because it's an alien influence that's that's giving that's that's progressing man forward. So yes. it's, it's suggesting that the evolution of humans was pushed forward by this alien yes. force, which yes. is the monolith. Yeah. Yes, but it's so simple. Experiments. Yeah. yeah. And I love I love in the Dawn of Man one, it's like he's playing with the bones, right? A little bit. He's just kind of looking around. The music starts. Yeah. And then he sees the monolith shot. It comes back. He like looks up as if he's thinking about it. It yeah. shows up. Then he smashes the bone. It's so obvious. Yeah. But so, I don't mean obvious in a bad way. I just mean like, this isn't some weird mystery. It's not a Marvel movie that you need to like, <laughs> oh, this is connected to that. It's Marvel like, movie. no. I just mean there's no Easter eggs. I'm like repeating myself now. Because, I would say like, Guardians 2 is on this level, honestly. <laughs> 
like that's why oh, I love no. this movie. It's because it's all right there. It's all in the monolith. It's not complicated. Like no, but it is <sighs> mysterious still. Yes, that's what's so great. Who knows what the monolith actually is? You don't and where need it to comes know. from. Exactly, it's just you an just external don't need force. To know. Yeah. Understanding. Yeah, yeah, I I just love it. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love that motif, like the returning motif of like the monolith and the sun over it. And again, it's so cliche. I, it's like, look, can we really say anything about this movie that hasn't been said? Probably not. And I almost hate to talk about the scene where the, I think the monkey's name is Bone Cruncher, right? Cat is it something like that? It's Moon Watcher. Moon Watcher. Why did I come up with Bone Cruncher? Bone, bone Cruncher. That sounds like a metal. I was taking <laughs> it too literally. Freak on this movie, man. <laughs> <laughs> but that scene, I mean, it's so copied and well known, yeah. and we've seen it a million times. But it's still so powerful. The music in the context of this movie and the the. The musicless, you know, it's it just, it's so powerful but to finally see yeah, them use the tools. You not just like get off on like seeing him take the next step. You're like, oh, he did it. He's doing it. Like, this is us. Like, go team. Yeah. And yeah. he thinks about it. Like, you can see him thinking about it. And yeah. the monolith pops into his head. And it's just like. Right. And then we have that, that incredible montage of just like smashing things up. And then the next is like the best jump cut in. <laughs> Yeah. In cinema, cinematic I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, Kat. What's a jump oh. cut? I'm just Settle. kidding. It's a match cut, actually, uh, Kat. Yeah. All right. It's a match cut. <laughs> it is a match Not cut. Me. All right. And guys, I really enjoyed being on this podcast. <laughs> I can see I've spent my time. Um, no, it is. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, a good, it's a good fun. match cut. I mean, so apparently, like, they shot the only scene that they shot, like, outside of the soundstage for the monkey was that low angle because they needed a real sky. And so the story that I was listening to is like, as they're heading back, Stanley Kubrick is just like throwing a broom up into the air, like over and over again. He gets all excited. And that's how he decides to like have that like moment of the bone going up and then. It's awesome. Turning. Yeah. This and Lawrence of Arabia are like the two super, super famous match cuts, right? Yeah. And Lawrence of Arabia have him blowing up the match and it mm-hmm. just, it's cuts to the desert. Mm-hmm. And in this, it's him throwing up the bone into the spaceship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look. <laughs> It's that's that's a very elegant way to jump forward in time. Millions and millions. <laughs> Nothing of else years. in human history really matters. So it was like that moment, this moment. Here you go. For me, okay. For me, this movie is like going to church. Yeah. It's just like going to church. Like this is if you are a film fan, sitting down with two thousand one and just put your phone away, turn it up, just get lost in it, turn off the lights. Like this is church. This is a religious experience. And you know, it, it really is because majestic. you know, look, this this movie did inspire a lot of other stuff, but at the end of the day, this is there's there's something so potent about it still. Like it hasn't lost any of its power, I don't think, over no. time. Yeah. All of the sounds, all of the shifts in sounds, all of the lack of sound, it just works so well to completely enclose you in like what you were looking at. Yes. It's just great. Like, okay, there's the weird, creepy choir, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Yep. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. There's, there's music coming in at shots of space, right? There's classical music. There's lack of music in most of the other parts of the movie. The way it chooses to be really objective at some points and really subjective at other points, like, mm-hmm. and working every single time. Yeah. 
like and then the way yeah when i say like the way it chooses to be objective like you're hearing what you're would be hearing based on the point of view mm-hmm. like you're hearing the breathing when they're outside you're hearing nothing sometimes when you're just because there space, is no sound no in sound. space the one where he gets back in from the pod and there's no sound until he closes the door beautiful it's so good, good. oh and you know what else is an incredible moment of silence when Hal is killing the like three sleeping guys, the beeping of the the monitors. That's it. Yeah. They just die. Like three people just died, yeah. and there's like no sound <laughs> of struggle or anything. It's so good. They never even knew it happened. The clicking and the beeping, and it's yeah. all just so good. It feels like a real environment. Yeah. Yeah. Although it's funny because this movie was later criticized for being it has this very sterile, clean image of the future and of technology and stuff and then obviously if you jump like nine years forward in 1977 when the first star wars came out even though that's not sci-fi that's fantasy but like that was kind of that coupled with alien a couple years after that where they brought this dinginess to to sci-fi right well that's what happens when someone with like extreme ocd makes a film (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's gonna be clean yeah. Yeah. Apparently, would like make the the stewardesses like wear plastic bags over their costumes when they were like not filming, so they wouldn't like touch them. Oh my <laughs> no god! No way! Let's talk about some some of those. So I'm I thinking I'm thinking now of the stewardess scenes. I love those. Those I some of those photographic those. tricks are still really impressive. Of the camera rotating with the the cabin, and then yes. someone will be walking on the ceiling, and it'll switch, and it's it's still really impressive. That one's incredible. The pin was impressive. I found out that they did the pin by having it stuck to a fucking sheet of glass that they spun. Like, it's just a sheet of glass. I love that sequence. Can I just say him traveling to the space station and the space station itself? It's those, like, it's very very human. (laughs) It's very 60s, but it's also full of, like, humanity, I feel like. I was going to say, how scary is that video call with his daughter? Oh, Oh my my God. God, That's Kubrick's daughter, too. Is it? Yeah. It's so funny, but yeah, you have that and you have him telling her, it's hilarious. Be sure you tell mom, I'm going to call tomorrow. I have some, like, this is very important. It's those little, like, that's the most human part of the movie, I think, is that section. Because you have Pan Am, you have these familiar brands. There's IBM, Pan Am, the Howard Johnson, Hilton. They're at, like, a Hilton (laughs) space station, a space station hotel. Yeah. And it's just great. It's like a model... A model of bad fathership right there. <laughs> Just yeah. like missing his yeah. daughter's birthday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love the stewardess's shoes. You zoom in on their shoes. It says like anti-gravity shoes. Mm-hmm. That part is really tight. Like I want to reach out and live in that part. <laughs> Me too. It looks so cool. <laughs> it does. We should go back to the whole 60s style. Huh? Yeah. And then, oh, they're announcing, oh, we found a cashmere sweater in this area. It's just very human, that yeah. part, is yeah. what I'm trying to say. So. Yeah. Oh, also, no buttons. No buttons on the suits. Because Stanley was like, they won't need buttons in the future. <laughs> oh, no way. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> He's like, we'll be on buttons, that's for sure. Before I moved to LA, I came to in LACMA. I feel it was 2013. 2013. Maybe you remember, Kat, LACMA had a Stanley Kubrick exhibit. I think it's been touring the country. I think it's been touring the world. But so I went in 2013. Yeah. I got some bad news for you, Greg. (laughs) I never stepped foot in the city before 2016. Oh, well. (laughs) I was here. Why didn't you ask me if I knew about it? Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
It was amazing. It's the coolest exhibit I've ever been to. They had the monkey suits. They had the space suits. How they had cool. the, the monolith. Oh, my God. Le- just leaning against the wall. Yeah, oh it was it was incredible. It was incredible. In light of that, isn't it kind of depressing to know that they destroyed like 90% of the art from this? Like Stanley yes. wanted the models destroyed. It is Aww. so depressing. <laughs> Can we just talk about the monolith for a second and how yeah. horrifying it is? It is horrifying. It's, it's most horrifying because someone probably had to stand next to that with a, a, a bottle of Windex and, some, <laughs> and just keep it completely spotless. Anytime you move it, you get fingerprints all yeah. over it. No, it is. It's, it's cosmically horrifying incredible almost lovecraftian unspeakable yeah this unspoken terror and wonder everything rolled into one it's it's like everything it's knowledge it's it's an inanimate object that just exudes raw sexual power (laughs) (laughs) among other things (laughs) i don't know i was always so drawn to that i was always yeah i was (laughs) (laughs) it's like Raw sexual power. Uh, it's supposed to be this like one by three by nine dimensional object. And then when the Stargate opens to Dave at the end, it's like you can see the dimensions beyond it. They're like folded up into it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so formidable. Like, I don't know. Okay. I know we're, I feel like we're kind of jumping all over the place because this well, is, no, we're kind of, we're kind of going through though. I feel like we're doing okay. Yeah, are we are. We? We're making okay. our way through chronologically. Like we're like kind of being crazy. Which, this is like the best way to go about this is, is chronologically through the movie. I think so. And then if we have to jump out a little, like there's like a little branch here, a little branch there. That's okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I got a question for you guys because I think that there's only one right answer to be honest. <laughs> okay. Who's your favorite character? Yeah, there's only one right answer. Cat? How? Obviously. He's the most He's interesting the character. character, yeah. Cuz Dave is not even a real character, right? Yeah, Dave is funny. And I guess I guess Kubrick's Kubrick's uh detractors like to say that he's cold and that his characters are lifeless and you could you could say all of that, but like Hal is a, a complex fucking character. Oh my god. Honestly. Yeah. Hal just doesn't want to die. Hal makes a mistake and like cannot like admit it through his pride. Sorry, I keep knocking my charger out. Um, oh my gosh, should we just like we could kind of like fast forward through through this Frank section, right? We get to blah, 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 blah. yeah. They meet. They go to like the conference room. All these film bros are like, oh, look at the symmetry and the high contrast of the contra of the of the conference room. And I'm like, Jesus, like settle down, buddy. Like maybe <laughs> this man has an artistic eye. You don't gotta like talk about the way. It's so obnoxious how this is the point where they'll start like the film bros will start in about oh the layers of meaning and how shots are used to make us think. And I was like, come on, buddy, have you seen a film before? <laughs> Wait, what? What conference room? The one that the conference he, room that's like the blinding white. Yeah, where the lights are on the walls. Oh wait, the Floyd secret sequence. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> but how? Okay, so do you guys think so? Like, did Hal genuinely believe that there was a problem with the antenna, or was he purposely trying to get rid of them? No, he was trying to get rid of them. Or, or. Was he mad at them for not? What if he was mad at them for not believing him that there was a problem with the antenna, and that's what made him think these humans are going to fuck up this mission, and that's why he wanted to get rid of him. At, at mm. one point, at what point did he want to get rid of them? Is my question. I think from the beginning, 
I don't. I think from Hal's inception. That's my take, though. What were you saying, Kat? I was going to say, great opportunity to bring in the companion piece of the Arthur C. Clarke novel. Well, in that one, it's like very much that the machine makes a mistake, but because no machines have ever made this mistake before, it just like refuses to accept the possibility. And it's almost like this hubris in machine that then so causes it to like wipe out, you know, yeah. wipe oh, out okay. that proves it sure. otherwise. And then it's a fight for its survival when they say they're going to disconnect them. Yeah. But then here's my thing. Here's my problem with my theory. Why, if he actually, if the antenna was actually broken, wouldn't he need them to fix it? Why would he kill them? Because he doesn't have arms or legs. He would need them to fix it. Maybe but Hal guess, knows at that point that it's not that's not going to break. Hmm. Or he kills him after he's reinserted it. Re, re um, what what's the word I'm I mean, looking for? The com- it's it's to communicate with Earth. Maybe he doesn't want to like even feel the need to communicate with Earth necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I I still like <laughs> I like the idea of Hal being born bad. Well, I don't think he is. Though. <laughs> I mean, that's, it's funny that you said that because Denley also said that Hal was always out to kill him. So maybe that is like the reading from the movie. I guess it just got me wondering. I don't know, but you guys know what's funny? Dave is nicer to Hal than Frank is. Frank kind of like treats him like a computer and just like for his birthday, for example, when he's like. Happy birthday, Frank. He's like, thanks, Hal. Like, can you lower this? Like, his bed, whatever. Nothing, you know? But then Dave is playing chess with exactly, him. Exactly, he's playing chess. He's nice to him. And he does, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's true. <sighs> Heart-rending scene. Let's talk about the scene when Dave is deactivating Hal and just erasing one function at a time. Mm-hmm. And Hal is slowly dying. <laughs> What a cool, first of all, what a cool visual way to do that scene, right? Because mm-hmm. it could be, it could have been a really drab looking, like, it could have just been on a computer, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. deactivating how. But the fact that Dave has to go into this zero gravity room yeah. and pull out this thing and push these buttons and then these and little trays eject. Yeah. yeah. It just, it looks cool. It does. And it just adds something and it's red and in there like the a red, furnace. Yeah. Yeah. I really love the way that uh, I love the way that each one of those memory capsules just comes out. Yeah. It's such a nice movement. Yeah, it is. It's very pleasing. Yeah. Okay. Do we feel bad he for Hal? Anonymizes his crew member. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do we feel bad for Hal? Yeah, I feel a little bad. How about when he says, "I'm afraid." Yes. I'm afraid. Dave. <laughs> You're a good Hal. I'm afraid, and then he says, "I feel it. I feel my brain going." Yes, he says, oh "I God. feel." That's some next level cosmic terror, right yeah. there. Yeah, and then you get just the the reactions of Dave in those moments where he's just having his heart broken, but he keeps doing it. Incredible. That whole set is wild too, because it's a seventy foot set they made that's like actually built to spin, and apparently just like had shit falling off all the time. So it was like you know every crew member was wearing a helmet, which I just like to imagine because they might get like concussed by stuff falling off. Maybe we should talk about the the third chapter of of the movie, which is which is when Dave is is sent to Jupiter and beyond, Jupiter beyond. I think. Oh wait, wait. You know what? Before one quick little there's note, so much I love to cover, but like, how can you cover it all? There is so yeah. much to cover. I I love. There's a little detail of because it's Kubrick and because it's 2001. So much of this is are very like, you know, the camera's 
planted. It's on a tripod. It's still, it's not moving. It's these glorious canvas shots. And then when, when Dave manages to get back on the ship after Hal tries to kill him, mm-hmm. it's handheld. Oh my God. Yeah. And like, you don't even really notice it, but it, it adds a lot because for the first time in this movie, the camera is handheld and you're getting these, it's not the first these time low shots. Oh wait, what it's is? not the first time. It's my favorite site and I don't want to say it. Oh, I'll tell you okay, later. Okay. And f- Dave is still pretty like calm and collected like his in terms of his face you know he's not yelling he's not like fuck you how i'm gonna try you and i think that's so much better people call him lifeless but i think that his performance is so good like i think it's really especially when he's deactivating hal and he's breathing like really heavily and he's like yeah Hal, like tell me that sing me that song like he's very determined but you can tell that his anxiety is through the roof like it's it's a real i think it's a really good performance i think so too that's the kind of astronaut you want to have. <laughs> he's, yeah. yeah. Cool yeah. under pressure. Exactly. <laughs> cool yeah. He, and pressure. he's so cool when he's going to pick up uh, Frank's body and his face is just like kind of mad. Like you can tell he's mad, but he's also like yeah. trying to keep it cool. I think it's great. You know, you know it's yeah. funny. The guy, the guy that plays Frank, his name is uh, Gary Lockwood. Mm-hmm. He's in a great movie. This is, slight, this is off topic, but he's in this great Jacques Demy movie called Model Shop that if you have not seen, is an amazing low-key kind of character piece that's set in L.A. in the late 60s. I think he made it right after 2001. But anyway. Cool. Man, and then, I mean, it's it's nice because he looks so professional, so you really feel like it is this, uh, this person who is capable of fighting these great odds, but still that it's the impossibility of space that he has to overcome yeah. in order to totally redeem agree. this human life. Yeah. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. And then he goes back and he's shut out. And then that part is great, too, when he lines it up. because You're like, oh, that's so smart. Well, and Hal pleading with Dave. Oh, that's like my favorite. That's probably when, my favorite part. As soon as Dave gets back on board, Hal knows that he's fucked. Just what yeah. do you think? Because Hal doing, doesn't have any Dave? hands. He can't stop him. Yeah. Hal starts to be he tries to be a little aggressive first. But the further in that Dave gets, then he starts to plead. I love that. Like <laughs> that I transition. <laughs> I really love it. I wish I could play that whole scene, but it's pretty long, actually. It is pretty long. It is fascinating. There's uh, almost this, you know, they have this contentious relationship with him because he's in control of everything in their lives. And yet it's when they are within, inside of him, he is so incredibly vulnerable to them. Yeah. 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 Interesting dichotomy. Symbiotic relationship. Well, let, let's talk about the, the, the third and final chapter of this movie. Let's talk about the fetus. Yeah. Well, we'll get to the fetus. <laughs> so this was the big one. People who saw this when it came out in theaters would would go to the theater and drop acid for this this Stargate sequence, right? Where essentially Dave's sent to Jupiter to investigate and he gets sucked into this Stargate, the monolith? Yeah, the Stargate is the monolith. Multidimensional uh, space, shape, time, something. This is the part of the movie because everything up until now if you haven't read into the movie, you understand what's going on. This is the part where if you haven't seen the movie before, I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, okay, sure. That. But there, as Kat probably knows, because she just read the book, it has, a, there's a very logical, like this happens, then this happens, then this happens. It's actually funny because there's a clip going around on YouTube of this like Japanese reporter who calls Kubrick. And I don't think Kubrick knew that the phone call was being recorded. And the guy straight up asked him, what, what is the end of 2001? And then Kubrick's basically like, well, I don't like talking about this, but, and then just says it. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Kubrick literally just says it. The idea was supposed to be that um, 
he is uh, taken in by uh, uh, godlike entities, uh, creatures of pure uh, energy and intelligence with no shape or form. And um, they uh, put him uh, in what I suppose you could describe as a human zoo mm. and uh, to study him. And he spends, he, his whole life passes from that point on in that room and he has no sense of time. Um, it just seems to happen as it does in the film. Mm -hmm. And um, they choose this room, which is uh, a very uh, inaccurate uh, replica of uh, French architecture, yeah. deliberately so inaccurate, because, uh, you know, one was suggesting that they had some idea of something that he might think was pretty, but um, weren't quite sure, just as we don't quite sure what to do in zoos with, with animals. as to what baby Dave is going to grow up to be. I feel like there's Messiah undertones, but I don't know if that's actually played out. Hmm. That's funny. I mean, I think that this next generation of Dave, because like Hal talks a lot about like human error, human error. So I think that maybe the next version is more kind of machine-like. Who are these beings, though, to just keep him for the rest of his life, waiting for him to die, so that they could rebirth him as this? What a terrible ending for Dave! Yeah. I know, poor guy. I feel really bad. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. He doesn't even know what he's been through. No. In the <laughs> that gives book, me some comfort. Clark gives it a bit of a cop out, where they just give him like one day, and then he like goes to sleep and is turned into baby form. But I think I like I like the Kubrick version better where Susan's oh, interesting. laid out. Yeah, I love the I love the Kubrick version because you see the way that the time jumps are portrayed mm -hmm. where he'll see an older version of himself in the next room. And it gives it this very eerie It's so scary timeless and then, quality. Yeah, like you don't know you have no sense of what time is. He's just aging very quickly. Yeah. And then you have a full frontal of the monolith and it's so scary like when he's in bed and the monolith is right in front of him chills like really scary and he reaches out to it yeah it's horrifying i think it's, it's the color scary black maybe it's, it's unknowable oh man i had his lovecraftian what yeah it is lovecraftian yeah. without yeah. tentacles yeah. yeah i think completely it's a sleek version of like a lovecraft lovecraftian monster so here's the question. Would you go through the Stargate? Would I go through it? Yeah, give it oh, a choice. Fuck no. Why I would I? <laughs> would you? Yeah. What if you go through and then on the other side, movies don't exist anymore? It's okay. I'll be dead in a day. 
Yeah, you'll one, you'll be dead in a day. Two, you'll be a tiny fetus, or actually a large fetus. When I'm a fetus, I will know all the movies. You know, (laughs) I'll be a better filmmaker for my fetusness. Do you do you think that baby Dave has has memory of his previous life? I don't know. I like to think he does, but I don't know. All right, sight and sound. What's your favorite? Okay, who should go first? Guests first. Guests first. Yeah, go. Well, then that means I can just snag because I, I thought about it and I was like, you know, there's some really there's uh, just an unnumbered amount of great sights in this movie. And there's some incredible sounds, too. Um, I think for sight, I'm going to have to go with uh, <laughs> with the moment when you and there's so many to pick through, but I, I'm going with the one where they're in the pod and after they finish speaking hal's perspective shows and it's just pure silence and it's their move their lips moving and you know that they're fucked and then it's intermission right intermission yes Mm -hmm. (laughs) also they had intermission in the hbo max version yeah okay so my favorite sight greg is the first handheld shot in this and it's when dr floyd and his team are on the moon and the monolith is there. That's and my it's... favorite shot. That's my favorite sight too. Oh yes! <laughs> you didn't realize that was handheld. I guess not. <laughs> it's so malevolent. Like it's so the music is evil. There. Like yeah, scary. They're it's the in moon. the distance. They're like kind of looking at it weird, and it's just standing there. And the music and the handheld. It's shaky and terrifying. That's my favorite. Yeah, same. Here's the thing about the <laughs> space shots. I love all the beautiful space shots, but I, I think a part of me loves them so much because of the music. Oh, so yeah. I, it's weird to like isolate a picture of like the earth and say that's my favorite shot of this movie mm-hmm. because what makes it so beautiful, I really think, is the music. Kubrick was one of the great masters of marrying image and sound. So here's and, the thing, sight and know, sound? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. But if we're talking individuals... That's my favorite sight. Yeah, mine too. Mine too. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. So my favorite sound of the movie, I'll just go first, is the specific lines, I think, that really get me. At first, when I was young, it was like, I'm afraid, Dave, and I feel it. Like, that's kind of cliche, right? So now my favorite sound is like when he says, I still got the greatest enthusiasm and confidence in the mission. <laughs> I still... Go- He's trying to be casual, yeah, right? Yeah. I'm going to play it for you guys. I'm going to play it for you guys. I still got the greatest enthusiasm and confidence in the mission. And I want to help you. Too good. Also, just that, like, constant streaming hiss of maybe it's the the repressurization or maybe yeah. it's still just like because all the air was blown out is so it just puts you so on edge it does that's good stuff it is <sighs> okay who wants to go next yeah so uh, when he's in the final location past the stargate and you this is the first time jump you see he's still in the spacesuit and he moves into the bathroom and he hears these like truly bizarre clinking dripping sounds and it's the sound of utensils clattering and there's this extremely slow move and his breathing is growing louder and louder and then he spots the older version of himself from behind so you can't really tell who he's looking at yet and the utensils 
slow and stop and his breathing stops. And there's just this like held beat of silence. It's so good. It is. It's eerie. Dude, mine is mine is a howl line. Of course. It's a little he's so good. He's so good. It's not when he's being deactivated, even though there are so many good lines in there. Mine is one of his first lines. Dave's drawing, and Hal just compliments the drawing. I love that. <laughs> so it's like I love that. Have you been doing some more work? A few sketches. May I see them? Sure. That's a very nice rendering, Dave. I think you've improved a great deal. Oh, <laughs> Hal's such a nice guy. Yeah, he's just trying to be one of the crew. That's why I'm saying I don't think he wanted to kill them from the start. I think it's because they doubted him. It was all a face. He's two-faced. I don't think so. <laughs> um, What does Pauline say? Okay. Do you know anything I'm about to say? A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. You want to know why? why? Because I just bought 5001 Nights at the Movies. Uh-huh. And now I'm so tempted after everything I watch. I'm just like, gotta look it up. I do it. I do it. <laughs> so, yeah, I know what's coming. If you're new to the uh, podcast, uh, we do a segment called Pauline Says, where we read Pauline Kale's review for the film, if it exists. It just so happens that her review, she did write a review for 2001. <laughs> um, let's just say this. This is. Okay, these are a couple highlights from Pauline's review. 2001 is a movie that might have been made by the hero of Blow Up, the Antonioni film. And it's fun to think about Kubrick really doing every dumb thing he wanted to do, building enormous science fiction sets and equipment, never even bothering to figure out what he was going to do with them. Uh, Then she starts talking shit about Fellini, too. And she says, uh, Kubrick never really made his movie either, but he doesn't seem to know it. In some ways, it's the biggest amateur movie of them all, complete even (laughs) to the amateur movie obligatory scene, the director's little daughter telling daddy what kind of present she wants. Uh, And then this is great. She goes on to say that this James Bond movie, which I do love, You Only Live Twice, is better than this. She says, there was a little pre-title sequence in You Only Live Twice with an astronaut out in space that was in a, a looser, more freestyle than 2001. A daring little moment that I think was more fun than all of 2001. It had an element of the unexpected, (laughs) of the shock of finding death in space lyrical. Kubrick is carried away by the idea. Uh, She goes on to say, 2001 is a celebration of cop-out. It says, man, it's just a tiny nothing on the stairway to paradise. Something better is coming, and it's all out of our hands anyway. It's a bad, bad sign when a movie director begins to think of himself as a myth maker and this limp myth of a grand plan that justifies slaughter and ends with resurrection has been around before. She calls it a monumentally unimaginative movie. <laughs> she fucking hated it. I can't believe uh, it. <sighs> Pauline. Pauline, Pauline. She's been doing dirty lately. Honestly, I'm glad that one of us hated it, though. Yeah. Yeah, we need that reality is- check. You gotta hate Kubrick for the amount of like just ability to spend money on this movie that he did. 
Oh, yeah. like, a lot of people didn't like it, as we will find out it's funny in our next segment. Well, in her review, she talks about the centrifuge set costing $750,000. Yeah. By today's standards. In, in 1968 money. Crazy. I didn't know That's it cost insane. that much. You can, buy, you can buy like a small house in LA for that. <laughs> yeah. Still. I mean, if, right? Yeah. Compare that to one of the Avengers movies, which, which costs like $300 million. And it's like... I can't believe yeah. it cost that much. Yeah. But I think this movie, wasn't it like supposed to be budgeted at like 10 million and came in at like 20 mil, which is like pretty <laughs> fucking wild that they could do that. Really? Imagine seeing It's something this, but... like that. Like, I think that's probably the wrong stat, but it's like it went millions over like uh, the budget. <laughs> yeah, this is one. If this had flopped, that would have been the end of Kubrick's career. Like for sure. Yeah. No, but instead it was a massive success. But can you imagine? Because they just took, they took like months to film stuff. Again, like the centrifuge one is they turned it on for the first time and just like literally nails and stuff were falling off it. So they just had to like run it for weeks so that all the nails would fall to the ground. Oh, my God. That's the road. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is crazy. I can I can only imagine the experience of seeing this in 1968 theatrically must have been like because it yeah, must yeah. have felt like such a a classy premium theatrical experience of like going to, I'm sure that you got like a program. It's or so something. true. And it looks so sleek, but also just the, all of these scenes are like grips, like running up ladders to keep the camera from falling over as like things are spinning and just like a bunch of like men holding onto shit to keep it from falling apart, like it's right hilarious. off camera. And wires. <laughs> yeah. Well, should Always we get into letterboxed? Yeah, let's do it. So Jacqueline uh, kindly gave me some letterboxes to read because I don't know what a letterbox is except for something that is <laughs> defines the, the size aspect ratio of a film. <laughs> you need to get it, Kat. Come on. 2001 A Space Odyssey is quite simply the worst thing to happen to cinema ever. Its profundity has caused millions of people all over the world to force themselves to like what is simply nothing more than an exercise in style. Kubrick has no idea what he is doing here. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny, I know. With no sense of unity. The great filmmakers of the world create a series of events that contain clarity of information, something Kubrick couldn't bet his life on. What is the purpose of what is going on here? Is there any coherent message? I've heard suggestions that is Kubrick's message about the future of humanity. What future is that? Does Kubrick even know? This is Transformers for the art house crowd, pure style over substance. Nobody actually likes this film, they just seem to be liking it. It's like oh my God. Like I'd it. pulled that review too. Which I would say yeah. this woman should read the Arthur C. Clarke novel to explain all the questions she has. <laughs> Half a star. This is a goddamn horror movie. I have never been so uncomfortable, so despondent, so on the edge in my entire life. There is not a frame of this movie that is enjoyable to watch because there is absolutely no levity whatsoever. <laughs> I get the message. I really do. I'm a Lynchian. I know that I've sat through hours of discomfort willingly before, but there has to be some levity. I'm rolling my eyes. The entire film is nothing but a note of dread held too long and too loud. The score of layering screaming and Gregorian chants honestly gave, honestly damn near gave me a heart attack. I don't watch movies to be physically assaulted. So, anyway. Someone gave it half a star and said, this movie is pedophilia. And then someone commented and said, pardon? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, two and a half stars. I recognize that this film should be good. The technical side is great. Acting is amazing. But it took me three days to figure out how I feel about this film. And I finally realized that I just don't like it. 
at all. Nothing against the film. I know it's a classic and that it's amazing, but God damn it, I hate it. <laughs> Nothing against the film, but God damn it, I hate it. <laughs> so funny. <sighs> 2001 a space odyssey oh half star review by sarah don't I read the I, name i'm reading the name <laughs> sorry okay. sarah a half star review i wish i had never watched this it was a beautiful looking film but at what cost <laughs> <laughs> oh i saw that one someone gave it half a star and said i felt like i was losing my mind because of how infuriating the pace of this movie was this could have been a short film if Kubrick wasn't a little bitch. <laughs> That's funny. Someone gave it half a star and said, please stop pretending like you enjoyed this movie. I don't see, like, I can't understand that in, like, Citizen Kane. But this? Yeah. That was fun. I think that pretty much yeah. wraps up 2001. We had so much fun talking to you, Kat. Thanks for having me. I hope you keep some of it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, thanks for joining us this week. It was a delight. And especially thank you for reading the book this last week. <laughs> <laughs> You're such an overachiever. It was a pretty good book. I don't know. You guys have great research on everything. I was like, I gotta show up with something that I'm bringing to the table. Aww. You know it's funny, Kat? On Friday I had the idea. I was like, oh, I'm gonna read the book. And I even like ordered it on Amazon. And I was like, yeah, I have like three days, but I can do it. And then I was like, calm. No, I'm not going to fucking do it. Like, I don't have enough time. <laughs> Future read it. Future read it. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to continue being a fan of your podcast. I can't wait to see <laughs> what new episodes come out, except for I do know I could look at the list. Thank <laughs> you. Next week is the Edward Yang movie, Yee. Or um, as, as it is known. A one on and a list. two. Yeah. So gonna be fun yeah it's gonna be good everyone get ready to watch three-hour movie <laughs> yeah until next time this has been fun this has been great we did 2001 that's a big one that's a big deal we had a guest for the first time we had a guest bye you guys have a great week seen and heard is presented by the arroyo film club produced by and starring greg kleinschmidt and jacqueline pistachio edited by greg kleinschmidt Music by Andrew Cox. Special thanks to Catherine Ferenczak.